Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's the weekly podcast of Tablet Magazine. I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. Today, one man's quest to find out if he's a Jew. When Theodore Ross moved with his mother and brother to the Gulf Coast of Mississippi at the age of nine, the family pretended not to be Jewish. This deceit was his mother's idea, and years later it led Ted to question whether or not he should consider himself a Jew at all. In recent years, that search has led him to crypto-Jews in the Southwest, to Shabbat dinners with Orthodox Jews, and to a lot of other destinations. He writes about these journeys in a new book titled, appropriately, Am I a Jew? Well, Ted Ross joins us today on the podcast to talk about his book and about his quest. Ted, welcome to Vox Tablet. Thank you for having me. You know, of course, that in a literal sense, you are considered Jewish because your mother was born a Jew, and so there's matrilineal descent. But in your book, it seems like you're trying to get at some more abstract question about Jewish identity. Could you lay out for us what that question is in your mind? Sure. I, I mean, obviously, I agree with you. I mean, for, by any reasonable measure, whether it's uh, genealogical or terms of my family history or my role in American culture, I am Jewish. Um, but I, I, w- I have been very much uh, pushed away from the sort of normative Jewish experience in this country from a young age. And as a result of that, as an adult, I realized that I didn't really have a great understanding of what being Jewish meant. So I started to to look at Judaism and tried to ask myself, well, what does that really mean? And the more I asked myself that question about not only who, if I was a Jewish, but what made anyone Jewish, the more complicated it became. So your parents divorced when you were young, and then your mom moved you and your brother to Mississippi when you were around nine. Until that point, what role did Judaism or Jewishness play in your life? Well, I mean, I was quite young, so it, it, it's a little bit difficult question to answer. But generally speaking, I would say that I had a rather large, extended, secular Jewish family um, that was not many generations into the United States. And on my mother's side, my, my grandfather uh, w- was the first in his family to come to the U.S. in 1936. And on the other side, they were uh, from Russia and they had been here a little bit longer. But, you know, we had the Brooklyn background, uh, uh, you know, very working class, somewhat communist. Uh, uh, we did Passover together, and but we also did Thanksgiving together. Um, and in that regard, I, I definitely knew that I was Jewish. So for me, when I did move to Mississippi and we changed things around, I was very much aware that this was a radical shift in the way we were doing things. Well, why did your mother have you pretend not to be Jewish to actually be Christian when you got to the South? That's a good question. I mean, it's an, you know, a, an important question, but not one that's readily answered. I, I, I speculate on it in the book. And you know, part of the book is my asking my mother that very question for the first time in my life because we never really talked about it. Um, to me, I think there's a, there's a certain generational aspect to it. I think if you were um, like she was growing up in the 50s in New York, in the post-war era, in a Jewish community, in a Jewish family, for her, the idea of being Jewish was very s- separate and specific from the mainstream American culture. For, so for her, and in a negative way, so for her to be Jewish meant that she couldn't really be American. And and that's very much what she wanted. She wanted to be a part of the of the of the primary culture here and to be normal in whatever way that it was being defined in 1950s in America. So for her, when she decided to leave New York, I mean, there were some practical reasons for that having to do with her medical practice. But when she decided to move, she knew very much from the beginning that she would abandon the Jewish identity and enter into this more anonymous, 
generic American experience, which is something I think people of our generation, we're almost diametrically opposed to that notion. People in America now, whether you're Jewish or not, are looking for ways to claim a more specific identity, whether that's via religion or race or sexual orientation or any number of things. It's, it's just a very different way of approaching finding yourself in this country. Do you remember what you thought or felt when your mother first said to you, hey, boys, here's the deal. We're going to move south of the Mason-Dixon line and you're going to not let on that you're Jewish? No, I don't. Um, I, I, you know, I asked my mother that very question and you know, I don't remember what I thought about it and she says that she doesn't remember telling me specifically. Do you have any memories uh, of being acutely aware that you were kind of engaged in this big game of pretend? Absolutely. Always. And and, and that was not long after. Um, I was we, – when we moved to Mississippi, I was briefly in a public school. But shortly after that, in what I consider to be a very Jewish way, my mother found the best school on the coast and sent me there. And that was an Episcopal school. And I remember coming to school on the first day and we would line up outside of the school. It was, you know, Mississippi, very hot. Um, and we would recite the Pledge of Allegiance and then we would say the Lord's Prayer. And I had, I can remember not knowing the prayer and being aware of mumbling my way through it and faking my way through it because I was hiding something. So although I don't remember being told to do this, I do remember doing it and always being aware of it being different and unusual and something that would be problematic if it was found out. When did your father find out about what your mother was doing and what was his relationship to Judaism? Well, I'll answer the, first, the, the latter part first. My father is a secular Jew, very much in the New York, New York Times, Bagel and Nick's mode. Um, he definitely considers himself Jewish, but it's not something that occupies a great deal of his conscious thought, but it's definitely who he is. The, set, the, the answer to the other question is that he never knew, um, and he did not know until I was writing this book. So it came as something of a surprise to him, and uh, and yeah, that was another part of my life that he was excluded from. That, that That's what happened. Ted, in researching this book and writing this book, you spent time with various communities, crypto-Jews in the Southwest, Ethiopians in Israel, the ultra-Orthodox in and around New York City. How did you choose these very niche, almost, uh, forgive me for saying, exotic communities as places to try uh, for yourself to figure out what your Jewish identity is? I, I decided pretty early on that the conventions of mainstream Judaism probably weren't going to be for me. Um, Why? Well, I, I felt like in some respects that they were – they were – in part, they were too easy. I mean, I, I live in Brooklyn, and and as I said in the book, I could step out my door and bump into a synagogue uh, pretty close. It wouldn't have been much uh, labor required of me or discipline demanded of me to re-enter into Jewish life. It would be something I could just do relatively easy, and I didn't want that. I wanted to feel like I had earned the right to place myself back into a Jewish context. That was very important to me. So I went looking for places in which people were defining themselves in Jew as Jews in ways that took some some character and perhaps were a little bit offbeat and not necessarily always sincere or legitimate, but that had demanded that you understand what Jewish being Jewish meant. 
But I just have to interject. That sort of implies that the mainstream Jewish community, that people don't work in that community to find their own rootedness in their tradition, that they're not also on a quest to understand their own tradition and to study it and to embrace their heritage. Well, I mean, I can't speak for those people, but I would say that I, you know, if you lean on sort of the stereotypes of the secular New York Jew, it doesn't really ask that much of you. You know, you can, you, I mean, literally in my family, you can flick, flick on the Knicks game, grab a bagel, say some sort of, you know, vaguely supportive uh, 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 statements about Israel, but, but not about the settlements, and say, hey, I'm a Jew. That's it. That's a fairly easy thing for someone to do, particularly someone with me who genealogically is Jewish. I don't have to do anything to be Jewish other than say, hey, my mother who decided to have us pretend not to be Jewish, she's a Jew, so I'm a Jew. That's it. You can't question me. I was much more interested in more tangible and specific and critical and challenging ways of understanding Judaism. And I didn't think I was going to find those in the conventions of what today is mainstream Judaism. Um, I have one other objection to that, which is that, of course, mainstream Judaism is such a broad thing. And yes, while there certainly are some people who call themselves secular Jews and they have a bagel and some locks and that's the end of it, there's also people in the reform community and the conservative and the modern Orthodox community who are in Bible study groups, who go once a week to services, who attend shivas. I mean, it's not – I I guess – I think to say, well, secular Judaism, mainstream Judaism is secular Judaism and it's all X is a little bit, uh, it's a generalization that doesn't actually give enough respect to those communities. It doesn't give them the same respect that you're giving to these, what you call peripheral communities. Well, I guess in some ways it's, a, maybe we're, we're having sort of, we're missing about definitions. Um, when you look at some of the research and, and census taking among Jews today, most Jews, um, wouldn't consider themselves a part of a specific denomination. So they wouldn't call themselves reform or conservative or orthodox. They would say, I'm just Jewish. That's more than 50%. Um, That to me, that more than 50%, that is the mainstream. What you're referring to, I would say, or I would argue at least, is not the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they are making a a more sort of structured and mindful uh, uh, you know, taking a more structured and mindful approach to the religion, whereas that mainstream, that more than 50 percent, I think they're a little bit closer to what I'm saying. And I don't think I'm being offensive to them. I, I, I'm, I'm not asking anyone to do anything, you know, in terms of prayer, but I don't think or, or observance, but I don't think I would have been able to figure anything out in that, com- in that community, which is so diffuse and undefined that, it, that, it, that it's just Jewish. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Ted, among the array of people that you spoke to and spent time with, can you describe one whose experience really resonated with you in particular? Well, I think they all did in some way. Um, But one of the most interesting communities that I interacted with because I had no experience with them beforehand were the the ultra-Orthodox. And I spent a great deal of time among not sort of, again, not sort of the mainstream ultra-Orthodox. I would say that I spent I was unable to sort of penetrate those communities with any great success. What I did end up spending time in is the ultra-Orthodox and Orthodox groups who reach out to their, you know, quote-unquote, lapsed brethren. Um, So, for example, I I met with and spent some time with the founder of a a website called Shabbat.com, which matches 
um, people who are interested in regaining some form of Jewish identity with Orthodox households are willing to host you for the Sabbath. And I went. I was sent out to a, a family in Kensington, a, a Haredi family, a yeshivish family. Their their life in this very small community was ordered primarily around the yeshiva on their street. Um, I mean, they were a great family. They accepted me with open arms. They took me into their uh, their shul, where I can you know proceeded to blunder and break every unwittingly break practically every <laughs> rule that you can. Um, but what was very moving for me that the the, the the wife of the of the family or the the matriarch not, yeah, the matriarch of the family that I had spent time with um, was someone who had come from what she told me was a secular background in New York that she had grown up in Astoria and in a non religious family and had lived a normal life and and then then had become religious as she got married and 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 got and had children. I didn't, for whatever reason, at first I didn't totally believe her because I had encountered among the Orthodox people that there were there were a lot of people who would tell me that they had grown up not religious and that this meant something very different for them than it did for me. There's there's this idea of of what uh, uh, what's called residual orthodoxy. So people who are Orthodox sort of with the forms of orthodoxy, they'll follow the the rules for lack of a better word, but there's not much spiritual feeling. That's something that was very pre- uh, prevalent according to my research, um, during the 50s and 60s. Um, but today's orthodoxy is much more spiritually based, much more enthusiastic. So I assume that's what she meant, that she grew up in a from household, but that maybe her parents, you know, they may may not have been kosher in the house, but if they were outside the house, they were definitely kosher because they were part of an orthodox community. Um, as it worked out, I went to the wedding of their daughter, um, which was the only orthodox wedding I've ever been to. It was segregated by gender and you know, to to use your term, exotic in about 50 different ways um, <laughs> that I hadn't planned for. Um, but one of the, I, I ended up sitting at a table um, with some sort of, uh, you know, distant cousins or what I thought was all distant cousins. And there was an older man who was there sitting next to me and he looked very familiar to me and I couldn't quite place who he was. And as we went along and spoke that evening, it turned out that he was the brother of the matriarch. But he was completely secular. He lived in San Francisco, uh, or actually, I think he lived in Berkeley. Now that I think about it, uh, to a non was married to a non Jewish wife, and his children were not being raised religiously. And he really wanted me to know that, and it put the matriarch in a completely different context for me. She's about the same age as my mother, mm-hmm. and I was I remember watching her at the wedding and thinking, you know. That really could have been my mother if 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 she had if she had turned in some direction if something different had happened to her, she could have been in this you know in this wedding hall in Borough Park where no one's speaking English um, but me, <laughs> and and it would have been a completely different experience. So that was very moving for me. Generally, in the book, you take the stance of the outsider and you interview people in these various communities. It seems like the place where you most strongly inhabit and take possession of your Jewish identity is in the discussions with your mother. Uh, about what she did, about her decision to have you pretend not to be Jewish. And what was really striking in those passages was how angry you were. <laughs> yeah, I can see you saying that. I mean, it is a transcription. And some of it is just, you know, it's the way that my mother and I talk to each other. But I also didn't want to let her <laughs> – this is going to sound worse than it is. I didn't want to let her squirm away. I wanted to know because we had never talked about these Yeah, that's things. fascinating that you didn't. You know, well, you know – I don't know that – I thought about that too. Why had we not talked about it and is that such an unusual thing to do? I think 
I think in many American families, there are things that people don't discuss. And this was the thing that we don't discuss. I am not angry at my mother. I love my mother. Uh, my son is spending the week in Mississippi this very day <laughs> with my mother. Um, but I wanted to know, and I think she was wrong. I think putting aside ethical or moral considerations, which are paramount in this case, she was tactically wrong. I don't think that if I had been living openly as a secular Jew in Mississippi that I would have had a problem. Um, I think it really was much more psychological on her part, that desire that we discussed earlier to be American in a way that she felt that she couldn't be as a Jew. And I don't relate to that idea. Um, not that you're necessarily – I don't expect that I'm going to be living in an Orthodox community ever, anytime soon. I don't think I'm going to be wearing a yarmulke. But I do consider myself and count myself as a Jew in an American context. And that's important to me to have that thing that I can attach myself to. And I don't agree with my mother's choice to, to abandon it. Well, why does it matter to you if you're a Jew? I mean, is this a, a spiritual quest for you? Do you want to have some kind of uh, religious epiphany? Is it a cultural grounding? I mean, what is the actual pursuit that most engages you? Well, no, it's not a spiritual pursuit primarily. I'm, I'm not a spiritual person. I mean, I write a, b a bit about that in the book that for me to understand Judaism to the extent that I could, it would require me to understand people who do have a spiritual motivation and I spend as much time with them and, as I could and try to understand them. But for me, no. You know, it's as much as anything else for me is trying to understand my place in this country. And I don't think that you can understand your own role in the country without without figuring out some of those hyphens, you know, like uh, whether that's African-American or Italian-American or Jewish-American, the, the, the American experiment and the American society produced me in very specific ways. And I want to understand those to the, to the, to the, to the extent that I can. And uh, I don't think that – I don't think I'm in favor of another American <laughs> tendency, which is to invent a new identity for yourself. I want to understand the one that I have. Um, so that, that was more my motivation than trying to figure out if I really want to be kosher or anything like that. Ted Ross, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Ted Ross is the author of Am I a Jew? Lost Tribes, Lapsed Jews, and One Man's Search for Himself. It's out September 1st from Hudson Street Press. People, if you're not getting this podcast on a weekly basis, here's what you do. Go to iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcast browser and subscribe to Vox Tablet. That way you won't miss a single episode and you can also search our archive. We've got a lot of great podcasts that we've done over the years and there's no reason for you not to listen to them. Enjoy. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm Sarah Avery, your host. Thank you for listening.